Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There are moments in life that you'll never forget. Memories you'll pass on to your children, and they'll pass on to theirs. They'll be talked about when friends come together as myth, lore, and legend. These are Tales from the Tailgate. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. This is Steve from the Outdoor Drive Podcast, and as always, I'm joined by Trev. Trev, how are you, buddy? Doing well, man. Happy to be here. We got a good friend of ours, Zach Wilhite from the Bowhunting League, here to do a Tales from the Tailgate. What's up, brother? How are you? Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on and letting the Kentucky boy throw down with you East Coast guys. Hey, absolutely. Any day that we can have a big buck killer come and join us, we'd love to have you. Easy on oversell on that, man. We're just jealous. You're you're getting to kill deer up there already, and we're down here still fumbling and waiting. You're like, go ahead. I was just going to say, don't think too much into it because it's honestly miserable when (laughs) sitting here with no tag. As nice as it is to punch, I still want to be hunting. So so it's only a one buck state then? Yep. One one and you're done. Wow. wow, that's a tough thing. But you have a velvet season, so you have the the possibility of killing one over one fifty in velvet. Yeah, it's your best chance. I still say to kill a big buck is shooting in one of these states that you got a velvet season because depending on how early or late it comes in, I mean, you got two to three days there that you got a really good chance of them staying on them summer patterns before they drop that velvet and then they get all crazy. So what was the weather like the day that you shot your buck? It was. Of course, it's always hot. I don't remember exactly. It was upper 80s, and I'm not too sure, which I ought to have this memorized, but I believe there was a chance of rain coming in, and that's why without getting too far ahead of myself, but the wind the wind was awful that day. Really? <laughs> Whirling and crazy, and normally it settles down. Your thermals take over there right before dark, but uh, that wind, is, is some rain chances come in, it picked up, and it was absolutely awful. It did not work out good. There's thermals in Kentucky? Oh, yeah. Dude, they got hills, too. We still got a lot of hills. (laughs) Yep. I bust on the Midwesterners that that way because they're like, oh, the south-facing slope or this or that. That's always a big joke Like, dude, that's that's a 10-foot rise in elevation. That's not a slope. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's absolutely the worst thing dealing with thermals versus wind because, I mean, I'm pretty much all hills and hollers and big white oaks, and that's about what I'm hunting 90% of the time. Well, man, why don't you take us through it? Does this buck have a name by any chance? 
I'm not a big person on naming deer. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I don't know what I think about it, but well, I take that back. I guess he did somewhat have a name because last year he had kind of a, he had a broke beam on his right side, broke off right at the G2. So I'm glad he never got shot. And I don't know if that's what helped make him through and not get him shot, but because we've got a lot of gun hunters and the pumpkin patch, when it comes in, there's not a whole lot that's safe. <laughs> what do you think that, that he went last season? I'd say he'd be mid thirties. Really? He was a nice three year old last year. And I, I figure he's four, four and a half this year, which I normally, which my whole perspective has changed a little bit on chasing these deer used to. I mean, I'd, I would dive in after the oldest deer I could find that I felt like made me a better hunter. And I'd chase him all season. I'd either eat a tag or I'd eat a tag and learn, or I'd end up killing him. And last, uh, two years ago, I ended up eating a tag, chasing two of the biggest deer I've ever chased. But like I said, uh, meeting up with Matt and Ben and everybody with the bow hunting league, it's kind of changed my perspective and outlook on everything. I like, I'm, that's why this year I was so crazy trying and I ain't know about trying to kill one early because I wanted to be able to jump states and meet up with some of those guys and hunt some public ground and more or less get back to the roots of hunting rather than running cameras 24-7 and hunting over bait or anything like that or even running cameras over bait. Wow. So why don't we dive in a little bit about this buck and, and kind of take us through what kind of went through your head and what kind of led up to what, what happened? So I guess to really tell the whole story and without going down too many rabbit holes, I can kind of relate to Kurt's story and my father-in-law passed away back in January and he was basically a second dad to me and pretty much he was molding me for the chance when he retired one day to take over the business and for anybody that doesn't know what we do we do all of the grave digging here for our county and we've got four funeral homes that we work for so when he passed away it was more or less set on our table to more or less pick everything up and take it over where in the re years past <clears throat> excuse me years passed it was me and him so if any chance that i needed to slip away or hunt or however we'd kind of alternate and cover for each other and i had the opportunity to hunt anytime that i really needed to be in the woods so long story short coming into this year i knew things would be quite a bit different and i would have to have everything more or less perfect and set up because my time hunting could be so limited this year i didn't know how it would work out and that's what I can kind of go to now. And I knew everything had to be more or less perfect and whatever deer I was wanting to chase, I needed to be dialed in on him about as good as I could possibly be knowing I would have a limited amount of time to hunt here or there. So coming into the spring and summer, I started running cameras hard and we always feed protein. So that way the deer, the herds as healthy as they can be and the horns and everything, we can get them to grow as much as they possibly can here on our private farms. So what are you kind of feeding them for protein? We've got a local feed mill here that we go through, and they mix up without giving out too many secrets. But they right. mix us, <laughs> they mix us a pretty good mix with the deer over the years. They've they've come to really like, and it's we can tell a little bit of a difference on the horns that they're starting to grow. So you you're supplementing feed in the off season. Yeah, and and I'm not one really. I don't. I don't, I'm not big on hunting over feed or bait or whatever, which I'm not against it because I feel like it's a great thing for young hunters and different people. But I feel like you do more damage than good hunting over bait because you really, I mean, if you don't kill him first time in, you're going to be sitting there and it's going to get dark on you. 
and last light's going to come and your deer's going to roll in after you can shoot. So you're either stuck there, you're going to make him 10 times harder to hunt, or you're going to get a shot at him. And nine times out of 10, you're going to make that deer twice as hard to hunt and educate him. And it's going to make the rest of your season that much harder. And, and that's a point that, you know, I've come across with a lot of people is when they run their bait, when they run their proteins, things like that, and then they hunt over them you really run into that situation where like they're hitting it, they're hitting it, they're hitting it. They notice you there. They quit hitting it during daylight. They'll come in yeah, in the dark they're, and they're done. They're going to transfer as fast as they can and go nocturnal. Yep. But I have a whole different feel on the whole nocturnal, which we're getting down some rabbit holes. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you take us right into the day of what actually happened? Yeah. Cause it sounds like that actually played a part in how you killed this buck. Oh, yeah. So coming into the end of season, I had everything, which I love to hunt deer over soybeans. That's that's my favorite thing to do. But like I said before, knowing my time to be able to hunt could be limited. I went in and tried to figure him out on bedding and exactly where he was bedding and then coming to the feed and then also how he was traveling to the bean field. And as we rolled in closer to season, he was hitting that bean field later and later and he was getting really sporadic on hitting the feeder and it was all after dark so the friday before season i ended up with six or seven funeral services lined up over the whole weekend it was it was a heartbreaker but i mean that's that's part of work and i love what i do so i mean i can't complain there but i still love deer hunting about as much as anything so one of my good friends that's helped me he's been pretty much a rock and helped me get through a lot of stuff with the business and anytime i need help he's there his deer wasn't showing up that he was hunting. He's actually a member of the bow hunting league too. But anyways, his deer wasn't showing up. So he said, man, he said, you go in there. He said, I'm going to cover up your two o'clock service you have. And he said, you go in there and kill this deer. So heading in that afternoon, I was, I've never been so nervous in my life because I had one day to hunt him and pretty much the next three to four days I was lined up with funeral services, knew I wasn't going to be able to hunt. I don't know. It's it was the most miserable. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love sitting in a deer stand. Best thing in the world. But I've never been on more pins and needles just sitting there the whole time. So going in, I had not not an ideal wind. Pretty much was definitely not ideal. It was which there was two different bedding areas that he had been using, and there's a logging road that he would kind of he would hit. It was like a Y. He would come from either one of the bedding areas, and I was trying to position myself right to that logging road, but where I wanted to be, I already had a permanent set there, but the wind did not play out good for it. Took the saddle in to get on the side of the logging road that I thought was going to help the best and give him my best chance with him, and really to try to play the wind, because I mean, when you get in there on those ridges and different areas where you got your predominant wind, it can it, it's just always swirling it feels like in there and you try to find what's going to give you the best chance i wanted to be as close to that bedding as i could was being early i mean that's always kind of a no-no you don't ever i try not to dive in on bedding until later on in the year but more or less having one afternoon to try to kill this deer i wanted to be my best chance i want to be in the position where my best chance was was seeing him in light so i took the saddle in and trying to play the wind the best I could and get as tight in there as I wanted to be. But at the same time, still trying to play it as safe where I had an exit strategy if I needed to get out, if he right. didn't show up in light or however. 
but where I set up first with the saddle, the wind and everything was playing out pretty good. And as the night kind of went on, it was, it was honestly funny. I went against anything. I'm always, I am so precautious with everything I do, trying not to bump a deer. But as the wind switched and more or less the thermals took over, I decided to jump down about 415. Like it's, it took me a lot to get out of my stand and move, but <laughs> I knew I that I knew it would kill me and it would roast me if I stayed where it was the way the thermals were falling. And I actually had a permanent set on the other side of the logging road, a little bit closer to bed and where I actually wanted to be. And the thermals gave me the chance to kind of move and get down into that. So I tore everything down or well, I left everything more or less in the tree, but tore, I had my camera set up and everything with me tore it down and I'm talking hauled the mail about a hundred yards down this ditch a little bit down this drainage to be in between these logging roads in between the bed and where he was coming out of and the whole night I sat there and debating debated whether I made the right move if he seen me or if I was too close you, you run all that stuff for your head a oh, million yeah. times so I just happened about six Six o'clock, six fifteen, I think, is about when it was. I looked down the drainage, and he came out of a whole different bedding area than what I had planned. And the way the thermals were kind of pulling, I just I was terrified that he was going to get me because he had to come basically right up the drainage, right through it. And I was running ozonics, so I don't know if that that played a big factor, or if he just he just didn't get in the wind or what. But he came up probably forty five, fifty yards. And you could tell he was really trying to check and get me, but he more or less just tucked his tail and come, kept coming. He didn't pay it a whole lot of attention, and he ended up getting down to about 25 yards. And I didn't have the greatest way of shooting, which you can't see in the video or anything, but it was kind of a tight shot to get a shot off where I did. But I didn't want to give him any chance to cut any more wind on me or get me because I knew that if he ended up getting me, it would – he wouldn't last too long because he was already on pins and needles. Right. Now, wow. I, I got to step back just a second. So you're you're running the Ozonics, and you're you're in a bad wind situation, and this buck tucks his tail and still keeps coming. Is that like the commercial where you hear the aho moment? I'm not going to promise you or swear by it, but I do believe 110% that it gives you a better chance. Okay, fair enough. I, I just... I'm not a hundred. I'm not a hundred percent sold, but I do feel it's an extra. It is that little bit of extra that could have got me the deer, or it could have busted me. When you're on the ridges and big drainages and stuff like that, where you never have a good wind, you can go in and think you have everything pinned down. As soon as you go in, like I did with the saddle, I mean, I went up, thought I had everything game plan put together, and everything started changing right at dark, and I went for more or less kind of a south to southeast wind thermal started pulling it starts hitting me in the back of the neck and it's pulling north <laughs> so the buck keeps coming in on you and yeah, you've so got, I, he, he's on pins and needles where are you yeah, at? he's he has come through some sort of wind he's kind of he's picked up on a little something but like, like we talked with those on so i don't know if that was the game changer that's what helped but anyways he kept coming through and he got to about 25 yards, and I didn't want to give him any chance to get out of there. So I went ahead and drew back, settled the pin, and I, I shoot a hinge release. And that thing, I've never rolled through it about as quick as I did. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens once you release the arrow? It, it hit, 
as good as you could possibly ask for, which I don't like shooting deer walking at all. And he was already, like I said, nervous. And I started to stop him, but being 25 yards and he was moving slow, I just went ahead and held just a little bit tight to that shoulder and rolled through my hands and the shot broke about as good as I could have asked for. And he went, I've never had a buck do it, but he let out the loudest growling grunt you've ever heard <laughs> when that arrow hit. Really? Awesome. Yeah, I, I was, you, all, I've I, got it all on film and I'll have to get it put together and get it out. Yeah, dude. Did you did you hold it all together until that point and then just completely lose it or it's bad to say, but I was honestly more nervous and tore up just the thought before I ever even seen the deer. I've never had a night that I've been so nervous sitting in a deer stand just hoping it works out, having one afternoon to hunt. So when I ended up putting eyes on him, it was almost like a common, all right, there he is. He's coming. This is going to happen. All right, settle in. Routine. You put the work in. He's coming. Well, and that's oh. the thing. And and one thing, if nothing else, I'll go back to the bow hunting league, and I'll swear on it. That gives you a reason to sit and focus and shoot all summer long with the one-shot tournament. And oh, yeah, the one-shot yard league is it, it is fun. It dials you in, and, man, there's not many times that I can shoot a bow where I feel pressure. But when I hit record, it's like, all right, pressure's on. Whether you want it to or not, you don't think about it until that camera's rolling, and then it's like, crap, this is like shooting a deer. And then when you get to the deer, it's like, shit, this is easy. And that's the thing. I've struggled with target panic for quite a few years, and that's what rolled me back into shooting tournament archery. And then the bow hunting league with the one-shot yard league, that is a tremendous help on putting that pressure because, I mean, everybody can break a good shot practicing, but whenever your pressure's on and you're nervous, it's so hard to slow the game down and kind of contain yourself where you break a good shot and you make a good shot. Yeah, well, it paid off in your situation here because it worked out. You broke the shot. Everything worked out the way you wanted. I watched that knock disappear. I mean, about as pretty as you could ask for. He runs right to the base of my tree. I mean, he's he's 10 yards off the tree. And he starts that just kind of flickering his tail. He's wobbling a little bit back and forth. <laughs> and then he just kind of shakes it off like, hey, I'm good. Ain't no problem here. And starts walking. So I've got the saddle on from being previously about 100 yards away on the other side of the logging road. I'm tangled up in more rope than you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to think about running the camera, but at the same time, if I've got a deer in range and I have more ammo, I'm going to still try to shoot. So I'm, I'm trying to get another arrow knock, get spun around. Well, he ends up walking off into an area that I can't really get another shot. He goes about 60 yards and just lays down on all right, you've got him. Had no problem here. He's he's done right there. That's it. And he stands back up. So I'm like, what is the deal? I mean, double lung. Can't ask for any better play shots. So I'm running through my head. What happened? What's going on? So I can't see where he made a couple steps off. So I get down, sneak out, let an hour and a half, two hours. I don't want to wait long with it being warm. Go back in, get on the blood trail close to where I, I mean, where he had hit or where he'd headed. And he had fell right behind a root wide and didn't go another five yards. I just, I couldn't see him and he was done by the time I walked out, <laughs> but he just got far enough behind and it was a odd enough deal that freaked me out a little bit. Well, I, I ultimately commend you on having the common sense to go. I'm not sure I'm going to back out for a little bit, even though that deer was dead and down, 
You were smart enough to go on and play it safe and let him lie. And when you went in, he was right there. Because what would have happened, say you walked in there and bumped that deer? He may have gone another 100, 200, 300 yards on adrenaline. Yeah, I've, I've seen so many deer in different scenarios because that is my favorite thing, getting together with buddies when somebody shoots a deer. I mean, that's the whole deer camp thing that oh, we lose so much of nowadays. So, I mean, whenever you get on a track job with your buddies and everybody gets together when somebody shoots a deer, you see so many scenarios that if they would have just waited a couple more hours, it would have been a totally different outcome rather than bumping a deer. That's why we say when in doubt, back out. Like this is, and that's it. Just went against all odds and all, or not really all odds, but just more or less what I felt because I thought the shot you couldn't have asked mm-hmm. for anything better. And I thought, how is he toting it as far as he is? Right. Granted, he went 65, 60, 65 yards, but it felt like a lot further well, than that in the woods. Felt like three hundred, yeah. right? <laughs> you, you, you can never doubt the level of aggression that deer will put towards surviving. I mean, if they, they know they're close, survive, that's for sure. They they will do everything in their power till their last breath to survive. So that simple bump, you know, that's the difference between six yards and six hundred. So I, I commend you on that. He should have went down at the base of the tree. He had the whole death wobble <laughs> and everything else. And... <laughs> yeah, when you said so, that, I'm I'm not gonna lie. In my head, I'm envisioning you in the stand, ten yards away, going done <laughs> oh, that, that's exactly and when he like, said he well, walked off i was like oh no <laughs> it was like a light switch too i mean i was like yep here you go buddy you fixing the you fix the fall out the base of the tree on camera and he just shook it off nope i'm good i'm, I'm good yep and- <laughs> every time everybody tells a haunting story all i can think of is luke bryan is he down is he down <laughs> that's all I can think of is everybody does that in the tree, but I guess that's not the case. It's but, just me and Luke. Well, and, and in that situation, you know, you see that deer walk off and bed down and get back up and walk off. And in your mind, every bad scenario in the world is going through your head. Okay. Maybe well, did I shoot high? Did I one lung him and not know it? You know, all of these crazy scenarios. And then you find out, no, it was a good shot and he's dead right there. Yeah, it's, that's what was so funny is, I mean, he didn't go barely a few feet, and he was just out of sight, and he fell right back down, but he was in some thick stuff where some trees had kind of fell over where we had a storm come through. One of the ridges that runs down had a lot of tops broke out of it, and he headed off in that <laughs> stuff, and it just just enough where I couldn't see him. You bet. So what? So let's let's get into the nitty gritty of it. So what did he end up scoring? Who Were you by yourself when, when you went to recover him? He ended up at 156 and 5 eighths, I believe, on the 5 eighths. Don't hold me to that. I can't what, remember. I don't have that memorized. <laughs> was he was he in velvet or was he hard-horned? He was hard-horned. He shed early. I couldn't believe wow. how early he had shed out. He was out a week and a half, a week to week and a half before season. Wow. That's incredible. He's so did you have the whole, velvet here. <laughs> the, whole, uh, the whole deer camp type of camaraderie? A couple guys went in with you? And... Yeah, and that's that was what – kind of the crazy thing was i mean i always like i said that's my favorite part of the whole hunting thing and just the hunting Mm -hmm. camp of having your buddies with you to go in and recover a deer but i've i still had two or three nice bucks that was bedding in that same bedding area and my wife she was chomping at the bit to get back in there so it was one of those things on juggling whether you want to go in there and enjoy it or try to get in and get out as quiet as you can 
mm-hmm. which the whole hunt having it on film and everything else that's something i really enjoy so we ran the light and everything else to go in and recover the deer but we still it was me and stanley mcphail he's he's on the bow hunting league and one of my teammates josh goodhue and then my wife we all kind of got in and got out and luckily he didn't go much further <laughs> so now- i was scared it, i was scared it was going to be a long track job and something may have went wrong whether broadhead failure or what but that wasn't the case now the wife's up next, so she didn't want. She went there to supervise and make sure that everything went well, so she can get on yeah, back on the get ground out of the way, so she can do business. Yeah, she didn't want her spot messed up. <laughs> Easy enough. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of all juggled this year. Where really we've got two nice shooters, and they've all kind of landed at the same spot. God. We manage and go through and try to. We've got quite a bit of property. We've got leased and different farms we can hunt. And we've had so many guys that's come in and different. Uh, there's so much more hunting pressure around us as far as gun season and everything. We haven't been able to grow quite the deer that we used to and have the numbers of deer. Well, you're still capitalizing on it. So that's really all that matters. Is you're out there with limited sources, limited opportunity, and you're getting it done with limited time. So Yeah, that's how it was. It was... It was a different feeling sitting in a in the stand that night just hoping and wanting to get it done in one night and it's you try to tee everything up where you've got your best chance but you never think about just trying to do it the first opening night so that way you don't know when the next chance you're going to have to hunt i get it well brother we appreciate you sharing your story and congratulations on that deer you just go ahead and keep grinding away at it because i think you got it pretty well figured out I know. Uh, yeah, we, I think we're going to come down and take some lessons from you. <laughs> I don't know about the whole lesson thing, but I'm I'm excited and kind of tore up at the same time to be tagged out because, like I said, I enjoy hunting. And ever since I've kind of got to be buddies with Ben and Matt and everybody with the bow hunting league, it's changed my perspective a little bit. Rather than chasing one deer, I'm looking forward to hopping some states and getting on some public ground and knocking around a little bit. Absolutely, brother. Well. Just keep at it, and thanks for sharing your tell. And until the next time, thanks, and stay tuned for the next tell from the Tell Gate.